As Lizzie has just said, um, our reading this evening is from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and that can be found on page 1176 in the Bibles in front of you. So that's Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Lovely, thanks, Sue. And uh, do keep that open, page 1176. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we pray this evening you'd help us to um, align our minds and our hearts, our wills and our actions with yours. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Anna and I made a mistake a few weeks back. Um, we turned, quite a serious mistake, unfortunately. We turned on the TV too early for the BBC News. And uh, Saturday night, um, we found ourselves here in casualty. And uh, um, now, we don't watch casualty, partly because uh, Anna tells me it's completely unrealistic. And, uh, uh, and partly because she also predicts what's going to happen. So she spoils it. So... <laughs> Yeah, she, make, she makes the diagnosis accurately every time. And then usually about 20 seconds, she, they're going to arrest. Give them about 20 seconds, 19, 18, and so on. And then bang, they're off, you know, oh, crash, call the crash team, stand clear, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, we had seven or eight minutes of casualty, and it was awful. It was just horrible. I mean, it was just, oh dear, why on earth do we, why do people behave like that? It's just stories of people behaving horribly towards each other and that's our world sadly it's a reflection of the world in which we live and if we're going to live as christians in the word of in the world of casualty or uh well of course it's far far worse but if we're going to grow to be more like jesus in this world it's hard it's very hard And you don't just uh, drift into being holy. It's got to be a deliberate decision, a deliberate commitment to do that. And so this evening, uh, as we're in Ephesians 5 and uh, verses 1 to 7, uh, that's what we're thinking about. Growing holy, growing to be more like Jesus in a world which is very, very unlike Jesus. I mean, no one ever became like Jesus and they just woke up one morning just like him. 
You know, you don't just wake up and think, oh, I'm suddenly holy. It doesn't work like that, does it? And no one has ever done that. Um, if you're going to become more like Jesus, it'll be a deliberate daily decision and it'll be difficult because you will be swimming against the tide every hour, every minute of every day of your entire life. And nowhere more than in the area of sexual ethics, which is what we're looking at this evening. So, for instance, in verse 3 here, but among you, or perhaps I should say, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, if you behave like that, you will be very different from everyone else, pretty much. At school, at work, on holiday, on the plane with you, um, in the office, wherever it would happen to be. Some statistics. This is talking about people in the UK 18 and over. 18% of contemporary Britons do not in currently engage in sexual behaviour with a partner. That means 82% of adults do. 2% of Britons are celibate, never having had sex. 1.8 million British adults have had sexual contact with more than 100 partners in their lifetime. 1% of British men and 4% of women are virgins on their wedding day. When do you think those statistics came from? Because they're not current. That was back in 2007. So what do you think they are now? Well, today, Christian leaders are uh, getting more and more concerned that the sexual behavior of Christians is actually indistinguishable from that of those who are not believers. And, uh, uh, and we're getting more and more concerned that uh, you've seen this character before, uh, that we've become sexual chameleons, molding in, merging in to become indistinguishable from the world in which we live. So how can we live for Jesus in this kind of environment where uh, to go against the tide of the world's opinion and behavior is just so hard? And that of so many in the Christian church, hopefully not here, but I guess we might be surprised, uh, will find us and our behavior very strange if we're going to do, for instance, what it says there in verse 3. So we're going to look at the fundamentals, first of all, uh, in verses 1 and 2, and we'll be thinking there and in the whole of this evening about the way of love. Now, let's have a look at verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, it's not quite clear whether one and two there, those two verses, sum up, say, what we were looking at last week, or whether they're an introduction to what we're looking at this week. It's probably both. It doesn't matter especially. It's probably both. So when it comes to our behavior, and that includes sexual behavior, remember the way of love. I've called it the way of love because the word love, and it's the agape word, it's the way God loves us word, it's a self-sacrificial, giving everything for someone else word, love, is what he's talking about here. And that comes three times there. Um, live a life of love. 
That is the, uh, uh, it's not the eros, it's not the sexual love. It is a self-sacrificing, giving myself everything I've got for you and for your benefit, love. Okay? And then it's repeated there. Just as Christ loved us, that's his example, that's who we follow, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. And notice the Old Testament kind of language here about sacrifices, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So to walk in this way of agape, it's a lifestyle of self-sacrifice, giving yourself up for others. It means that they come first. So it's not about you. It's about them. We put them first. And we know what that looks like, don't we? Because we know, we see there, we read there in verse 2, that Jesus, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we have that example. We know what it looks like. That is the way of love. And we're going to walk as God's people. We want to walk in this way of love. In this uh, church, we want to encourage one another, don't we? To walk in this way of love, daily in this way of love with each other. That's what they had to do in Ephesus in the first century. And it wasn't easy. Ephesus in the first century, it was the center of the worship of the, of the god Artemis of the Ephesians, sometimes called Diana of the Ephesians. And uh, Ephesus has, had become a kind of a huge sex tourism place as they came to worship this god and to indulge in the kind of things that this god was saying was okay, was fine, is what we're here for after all. So, uh, and he's writing this to a church to, uh, which is there in the city that is known as the place where you can have sex where you can indulge in any kind of sexual interest or preference that you like. And he says to them here, as God's people, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Well, if they could do it there, we can also do it in Brighton Hove, can't we? In 2020. We want to walk in the way of love, genuine love, self-sacrificial love, following Christ's example of love. And Christian living is... Self-sacrificial love. That's what it is. For the salvation of others. To please God. It's what Christians do. That's how we live. That's how we walk. That's how we use our time. So this is fundamental. This agape love. This God-like love. And now we're going to see some of the nitty-gritty details. We're going to see what it looks like in the area of our sexual ethics. And can I say this? Look, you may not like this. You may not agree with what I'm about to say. Well, I want to say, if you can show me from the Bible I'm wrong, I will change my mind. I'll gladly change my mind. But if I can show you from the Bible that your lifestyle and your beliefs falling short of biblical standards and I hope that you will change your mind. We stand on the Bible and we're going to the Bible to learn how we should live our lives in the area of sexual ethics. One other thing. Coming back from uh, Stoke on the train yesterday, I was reading a book uh, and uh, uh, it was written actually by a, a vicar in Burgess Hill so I thought I ought to read it. He gave it to me so, uh, uh, so I've, I've been reading it. And in his book, he says this, Jesus came to save us and he didn't just come to save us, but he came to show us how to live, how we should live. And then he said, these days, people are very good at accepting the first part, 
Jesus came to save us, but really not very good at all in accepting the second bit about Jesus showing us how we should be living. And then he went on to say, but actually the Christian church is very good at teaching the first part, Jesus came to save us, but we tend to put to one side the second part about how to live and say, well, it doesn't matter so much. And then the Christian church has come up with all sorts of, um, uh, of teachings saying, and it doesn't matter so much how you live because Jesus came to save us. It doesn't matter, you know, sexually how you live because Jesus came to save us. He loves us. He'll forgive us. So you can live how you like. And then he devastatingly says, that's a nonsense. That's just totally wrong. Because we should be saying, Jesus came to save us, therefore, I need to listen to him. I need to find out what he says about how he wants me to live my life. And we need to get the word obedience back into our Christian language. That's what he was saying yesterday, as I read his book on the train. So, we're going to look at some details now. And uh, as we look at this, um, there are some uh, pretty hard things. Um, But the first one is this, no hint. So that's verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. That is, among Christians. That is, among us, here at BH. Now, let's be clear Put our cards on the table. Sex is great. It's a good thing. Christians should be the most positive people in the world about sex. But we also need to be crystal clear that God designed it and it's best experienced in the context of a lifelong commitment of one man to one woman in Christian marriage. The trouble is we pervert sex. We abuse sex in all sorts of ways. Now, when you look at verse 3, there are two, two words there. One is sexual immorality. That is the word from which, uh, which leads to, uh, well, it's porneia in the original. We get pornography from it, okay? Um, and then he's got the word impurity. Now, you put those two together, and uh, together they cover every kind of sexual sin. Every kind of sexual sin. That's any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. A marriage between a man and a woman in a lifelong uh, commitment to each other. Of any sort. So that means, among you there must not even be a hint of pornography, erotic novels, strip clubs when you're away on business, or that explicit stuff that you can get on the TV in your hotel room. Flirting, lusting, masturbation, the lot. He says, no hint. No hint here. So, uh, and that would also include whatever you're being tempted to do and you're thinking it's not that bad. It's covered here as well. Not even a hint. No hint. At all. Because it's the way of life. It's not, it's not appropriate for God's holy people. 
And he includes greed in verse 3. Lust is greed. Pornography is greed. It breaks the tenth tenth commandment. Do not covet. Do not want more. Do not want some other people have got and so on. Um, And that's the opposite of the way of love. Because love focuses on the needs of others. Sexual immorality focuses on my perceived needs. My lust, my pornography, my sex, my adultery. Actually, it's about me in the end. It's about me. A guy called Basil the Great said this. Hell, he came, it was a long time ago, okay. And he says this, hell never says enough is enough. Neither does greed ever say enough. And sexual greed never says enough. In the 14th century, uh, not quite as long ago as Basil, but uh, in the 14th century, there was a guy called, uh, um, a duke called Reynold III. And uh, he lived a life of indulgence. And he was very, very fat. So his uh, Latin nickname was uh, Crassus, which means fat, apparently. Anyway, after a violent quarrel, Reynold's uh, younger brother, Edward, uh, led a successful revolt. And Reynold was captured, and he was kept a uh, prisoner in a castle. And Edward built a room around his brother. The doors, uh, or the door and the windows were open, but they were made of such a size that Reynold couldn't get out because he was so big. The problem was his size. And each day, his brother sent him a variety of delicious foods, And Reynolds grew fatter and stayed in that room for ten years. Because he couldn't get out. Kept there by his own greed. And the trouble is many men and women are prisoners of their own appetites. Their own greed. Their own lust. Now if we're going to do verse 3 here. We will be criticised. We will be laughed at. Some Christians will criticise and laughed at us. Not even a hint. No hint. No glance at that top shelf and the newsagents as you leave. Not even that slightly lingering passing glance at the genes of the boy or girl in front of us. Now also, we just need to be clear, the world is all full of temptations. And we all fall from time to time, don't we? In this area, in loads of areas. But we need to know there's a difference uh, between a fall in weakness to persistent temptations, followed by repentance, humility, forgiveness, and a cry to the Lord to help us live the way of love. And the immoral, impure person who may claim to be a Christian, but has actually given themselves up without shame or penitence to an ongoing, knowingly sinful way of life, where lust has become an idolatrous obsession, justified, or at least attempted to be justified, by a weak thinking. The way of love means no hint. 
no hints. Among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. We will go faster now if you're looking at the clock. So uh, next thing is uh, no word. No word. The words used here overlap a bit. Overall, it's about how we talk about sex. We used to call it kind of dirty language or filthy language or a dirty joke and so on. Um, It includes suggestive language. It includes double meaning. It includes innuendo everywhere. I mean, you can hardly watch a stand-up without thinking, uh, why do do you have to include that joke? Let's turn off. I wonder, do you you join in with the... um, Sexualized banter at work? Do you laugh at the unfunny jokes? It's hard not to, isn't it? Do you feel uh, your own thinking being infected? It's a bit like um, burnt toast, isn't it? You burn the toast and it gets around the house. And their godless talking gets around the house of your mind. Ever happened there, here? I hope it never happens here. I don't think I've experienced it here, but I hope we never do. But how about Christian friends when you're out? How about Christian friends when you haven't got, you know, lots of other people around to make sure? How about when everyone else is joining in those kind of jokes and that banter and so on? Well, the way of love says no word, not one word out of place, ever. You see, it's there in verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. We'll come back to that in a minute. The next one is um, no involvement. And that's going down to verse 7. So he says, therefore, do not be partners with them. Um, It's not do not associate of course, we'll, we will associate with, with folks, won't we? We will work with people. They'll be our friends. Um, and I hope we'll still have friends with folks uh, uh, who are, whose sexual morals are very different from ours. They need to hear the gospel. They need to be invited along to things. But we don't want to be partners. We don't want to participate. We don't want to join in. Friday night out with um, friends or work colleagues or mates from uni, lubricated by alcohol, the barriers come down. And our behaviour and our chat goes down as well, doesn't it? From you, though, no hint, no word. And we're not joining in. No hint, no word, and no involvement. Now, to join in, uh, it's just inappropriate for someone who's walking this way of love. If you're doing verses 1 and 2, you don't want to join in with that kind of thinking and that kind of laughter and that kind of sense of humour with the people who are involved in this kind of thinking themselves. But so many in our world, it's what happens, isn't it? We know it is. But what's the antidote? What's a positive alternative? How should we think about sex? Thanksgiving. It's at the end of verse 4, isn't it? The end of verse 4, it says this. Um, well, let's look at the whole. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but... Rather, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a foundational solution to immorality, to impurity, to greed. But thanksgiving for what? 
Well, partly it's thanksgiving for the way of love. It's thanksgiving for the first couple of verses here. Thank you, Lord, for verse 2. You know, thank you, Lord, that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to you. And that's good prayer to be praying in the midst of all, maybe you're out on Friday night. Well, why not actually pray a prayer like verse 2? You know, you're there and all the, all the, the, all the, the conversation and so on is getting completely out of hand. And you could just say, well, actually, Lord, I've got so much to thank you for. Not for the stuff that's going on around me here. But I've got so much to thank you for in our Lord Jesus because he gave himself up for me. And, uh, uh, but also it's a bit more than that as well. What about thanksgiving for beauty? Thanksgiving for sex? Thanksgiving for marriage? Thanksgiving for the way that uh, uh, for heterosexual folks, they find the opposite sex attractive. That's all right. Can't we give thanks to God for that? That's the way he's wired us up. If you see, blokes, if you see a beautiful girl, there's nothing wrong with saying, thank you, Lord, she is beautiful. But beware, because the next step, the next thought, can be something sinful, can't it? But there's nothing wrong with thanksgiving for beauty in the opposite sex. Or for beauty in your own sex. So I find it hard to tell if blokes are terribly good looking, personally. But uh, um, but uh, why not? Let's give thanks. Let's give thanks. Thank God for beauty. Thank God for sex. For the way he's wired us up. Lord, I know they're getting uh, uh, this all wrong here. And all about self-gratification. But thank you that you made sex good. And thank you that it's best made for marriage. Recognize the true worth of what God has already given us, rather than lusting after something he hasn't given us. And remember, don't be bought in by the lies of our culture, which say you won't be fulfilled unless you're sexually active. That is a lie of the devil. The truth of the matter is, that people are only fulfilled properly and completely when they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the way to fulfilment. So whether or not you're having sex, good sex, enough sex, fulfilment does not come that way. It only comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the way of love, true love, agape love, wonderful love. So the way of love. No hint, no word, no involvement, but thanksgiving. And the last two points, the next two points, are pretty tough, but true. So the next one is this. No deception, or the deception. That is a deception, that photo, okay? I'm sure that didn't happen. That's been photoshopped. It must have been, okay? Look at verse 6 in our Bibles. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. There are many, many people around, and society, social media, the way our schools have to operate, they're all telling us they have to, that sex is okay with whoever you want, providing you're a consenting adult, 
as many times as you want, straight, gay, bi, lesbian, experimental, whatever, it's all fine. In fact, we're told it's more than that. It's not just fine, it's good. And if we're not having enough sex, good sex, it diminishes you as a human being. But God still says, actually, world, my word still stands. I know best. I created sex for marriage, the lifelong union of one man to one woman. And the right home for sex is there and only there. Trouble is, within the church even, there are deceivers, liars. People trying, for instance, to change the doctrine of the Church of England to allow gay marriage. People who are telling Christians that Ephesians 5 is outdated and we don't live that way anymore. So we'll try and understand it in a different way, which says, oh, it was just for Ephesus because they were sexually active, so you're sexually active there. The trouble is you normally find in the end that their doctrine has been formed to support their sinful behaviour. The behaviour is there and then they want to justify it so they come up with the doctrine to justify it. Paul's day. Some, for instance, uh, uh, came up with them. Uh, you know, there are some bodily sins that don't damage the soul. And these are some of them, so it's okay. That was their argument. Feeble, pathetic, and absolutely wrong. Bodily sins do damage the soul, okay? Sorry, but they do. Others today say it doesn't matter how you live, because God is forgiving and love wins in the end. That's a heresy. That's a denial of the gospel. And we need to shout that out. There are many deceivers, even in churches, trying to say that sinful behaviour, theirs, and they hope yours, is okay. I read this this week. Most immoral people get away with their immorality on earth, but they will not escape detection, conviction, or sentence forever. Most immoral people get away with their immorality on earth, but they will not escape detection, conviction, or sentence forever. That was John Stott who wrote that, one of the greatest Christian leaders of the last century. And that's our final point, number six, and then we're done. The danger for the disobedient. Just look back to verse five. For of this you can be sure... No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Disobedient. It's not, the judgment here is it's not on people who didn't know better. They did know better. But they chose to be disobedient. This is the threat of unending separation from God, of utter loneliness, of 
blackest eternal darkness because there is a divine kingdom from which all unrighteous sinful people will have to be excluded they choose themselves tragically sometimes by revealing even though they may be involved in a church that they're not living the way of love and that's obvious for all to see what not everyone does see is the grave danger that's in verse 6 there for because of such things God's wrath come on those who are disobedient look it gives me no pleasure whatsoever to talk about this but I'd be failing you terribly if I didn't John Stott again and then we'll pray If we should fall into a life of greedy immorality, we would be supplying clear evidence that we are, after all, idolaters, not worshippers of God, disobedient people instead of obedient, and so the heirs, not of heaven, but of hell, the Apostle gives us a solemn warning. We shall be wise to hear it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to live the way of love. Father, please help us to be people where there is no hint where there is no hint at all. Where there is no word and no involvement, but simply appropriate thanksgiving. For your name's sake. Amen.